slippers and shoes? What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know why I put that upward inflection. That was so psychotic. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Every Outfit podcast. Lauren, how are you doing? Pretty good. I got recognized over the weekend. Oh, I love that for you. By who? A lovely man named Grover. Wait, was that Lena Dunham's adult son from Girls? Has it been that long since Girls ended? I don't think so. No, no. Paul and I were eating at an Italian restaurant in Echo Park. Not the cool one Donna's, the other one. Bassetti. (laughs) Wait, you went to Echo Park just to eat? While driving there, I did turn to Paul and I was like, we have to start eating in Santa Monica or Venice because it's equidistant. Yeah, you might as well start eating in Palm Springs. Honestly, not no. Towards the end of the meal... I paradoxically ordered a focaccia for dessert. That sounds like a fupa version of a focaccia. (laughs) Honestly, it kind (laughs) of was fupa looking. It came to the table and then Grover set down the butter and he said, and just like that. And Paul was like, (laughs) oh, he listens to the podcast. That's such an awkward situation though, because like, what if it was just like a coincidence and like, you don't want to out yourself as a podcaster, like how embarrassing. Oh, correct, Chelsea, which is why when Paul was like, oh, he listens to the podcast, I rightly was like, you're out of your mind. That could totally be something that someone just says. Yes, you are correct. How deranged would it have been if I was like, um, you must listen to my podcast. (laughs) I mean, I would cry with laughter just hearing about that. But so how did you find out that he actually listened? Okay, we're eating and then Grover comes back with a complimentary dessert. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, he does listen to the podcast. He was like, I just have to ask, what's your favorite carry outfit? And I was like, got it. Except I didn't got it because it was so, my mind went completely blank. And I just started talking about the gorgeous Prada outfit we covered last week. And then Grover showed me his favorite outfit, which was the Vivian Westwood green skirt with the little mm-hmm. tool. Great choice, Grover. And then I forgot what my favorite sex in the city carry outfit is which is her in the chloe equestrian dress you should really know that by now just because we do get asked that quite often and i love that outfit so much i bought that chloe dress <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> which i gotta say it's so fragile i am scared to wear it out in public because i'm worried if i open my arms too quickly it's just gonna completely rip why is it fragile it's like from the 90s it's not as if it's some like crumbling fortuny gown some person's 90s y2k dress is other people's <laughs> decrepit fortuny gown i also very exciting social weekend for me i went to a lakers game we had extra tickets i invited you to to be fair it was last minute because someone dropped out it was day of it wasn't just last minute <laughs> But you were unable to join because you had other plans. What were those plans, oh, Chelsea? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're such a bitch. I thought this would be a nice intro into our next topic. I don't know if it is. Okay, I might have made some friendship bracelets. Friendship bracelets for what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I had some friends over. I made some friendship bracelets. What do you want from me? 
so that you guys could wear them this coming weekend to the Taylor Swift concert film? Yes, because since I did go to the actual Eras tour, I didn't have bracelets then. And I felt bad because a lot of people gave them to me and I had no bracelets to give back. But if you're a vaguely creative person, making friendship bracelets is a very satisfying medium because it's like, it's so easy. It takes like 20 minutes to make a bracelet. And it reminds me of my youth because like, while I didn't make these kind of bracelets when I was a kid, I definitely did make them when I was like a teenager, when I was in my like Courtney Love, Riot Girl kind of phase. Yeah, I really should apologize to you. I'm sorry for being such a bitch because you made me, I mean, undeservedly so, my own friendship bracelet, which said, I heart TS. Because the only Taylor Swift thing you care about is the Tom Hiddleston romance. So that was tailored to your interests. Which Paul was very confused by. I was like, you don't understand. This has a double meaning. It doesn't mean that I love Taylor Swift. It means I love that pop cultural moment in July 4th of 2016 when Tom Hiddleston wore an I Heart TS crop top. Yeah, I can't wait to see the Eras tour. I'm seeing it next weekend. I did see one review of it on Letterboxd, which I screenshot because I loved it so much. Cinema Joe gives it five stars and his review is Citizen Kane found dead in a ditch. Okay. (laughs) So her concert film has been out for one weekend. It of course debuted at the number one spot bringing in $92.8 million. It is predicted to be the number one spot yet again this coming weekend beating out narrowly Flowers of the Killer Moon, which I decided would be a funny bit since you're going to the Eras tour. I am going to the same theater to go see Flowers of the Killer Moon at basically the same time. Great. Well, you'll be there longer than me because isn't that movie like four hours long? It's three and a half hours, but we're seeing it at an AMC. So plus 30 minutes of commercials, that's four hours. Jesus Christ. Like, obviously, love Marty, but like... This needs to stop. People need to realize that audiences want one thing, and it's movies that are an hour and a half. My film, we just lock cut, 86 minutes. Beautiful. Who has the attention span, especially in this day and age? Now, how long was the Eras tour again, Joe? (laughs) Well, the Eras tour was three hours, but the film isn't three hours. They cut out a lot of songs. Now, that's a film that could be four hours, if not longer. Little children shouldn't be in the movie theater for that long. (laughs) Yeah, there was truly unhinged behavior this past weekend that I was sending you at the theater. There was the man who was filmed stealing a cutout of Taylor Swift, which I later (laughs) saw he gave to his girlfriend. Very cute. I once tried to do that with a life-size cutout of Christina Aguilera. Where is that now? I don't have it. It was weighted down at the Mervyn store. Like it was actually too heavy to steal. They knew what was up. There was also, I don't know if you saw this clip of a bunch of girls doing what I will call a midsummer circle. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a solstice dance or something. (laughs) That was so funny. This behavior is unhinged, but then I saw people being very docile in their seats and it's like, that doesn't feel correct either. So what's the vibe, do you think? It depends on the crowd. What do you think your vibe's gonna be? Well, I'm going on Saturday night, so I feel like it should be kind of a good vibe. I think that I should leave my theater and enter your theater. Just, you know what? I'm going to give myself my own intermission. (laughs) Yeah, that would be perfect. I 
remember before I saw Interstellar, I saw on Twitter, someone was like, hey, you're probably wondering when you should go pee. And when Oppenheimer's brother tries to get his security clearance, perfect time to use the restroom. <laughs> and I need that for Flowers of the Killer Moon. <laughs> We're really burying the lead because our favorite writer ever wrote what I thought was a profile on Taylor Swift, but really it's a meditation on her and maybe your feelings about Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, you're talking about Taffy Brodesser Ackner, who one would think could secure the interview, <laughs> but I guess not. Her piece, it was more about the fan culture around Taylor Swift and the Eras tour and also just kind of like how the rise of social media has made the press less useful to celebrities because as she points out the New York Times has way less Instagram followers than she does. But the great thing about Taffy and her journalism is that she puts herself in the story which would seem annoying but one of her best profiles ever is about Bradley Cooper in the run-up to award season for A Star is Born and the fact that Bradley Cooper straight up is like, I'm not going to talk about my own life, my past addictions, or how it may relate to the film. And it's just Taffy losing her mind about how she's supposed to write this profile if he won't talk about any of that stuff. Yeah, that was such a good article. And also, she got the exclusive from Tom Hiddleston about his very bizarre explanation about why he was wearing the I Heart TS shirt. I love how you brought that back. Thank you. So you told me that this article made you feel seen. Well, her experience of the Eras tour was very similar to mine. My Tears Ricochet hit for her as well. She just had similar thoughts about the crowd and the vibe and all of that. She has maybe one of the best lines committed to journalism with my <laughs> my tears ricochet is a heartbreaker. I cannot remember a song about business malfeasance that is so affecting. True. Taffy defines Taylor Swift and specifically the Errors Tour and its impact as such. Taylor Swift frees women to celebrate their girlhood, to understand that their womanhood is made up of these micro chapters of change that we're not different people than we were then, that we shouldn't disavow the earlier versions of ourselves, our earlier eras. I think that's a really powerful thing, and I'm sure that especially resonates with fans who discovered her when they were children. Like, I was already in my 30s when I got into Taylor Swift. If Speak Now had come out when I was, like, 12 or something my own childhood would have been completely intertwined with hers, you know? There is something about Taylor Swift and I would say Beyonce's career as well that is different than Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera just because their careers did not extend as far. But you can be a part of the different eras of Taylor Swift. Like, I'm a late-in-life Taylor Swift person. You can either grow with her or you can jump in at different points in time, which I find interesting because... Like Beyonce, Taylor Swift, every album is different, a different reflection of herself. For sure. But I do want to just jump in to say <laughs> that the concept of eras is also a very Madonna thing. Although Madonna's eras had more to do with having a really arresting visual component. I was going to say, yes, aesthetic changes. Although, of course, she went through thematic changes as well. Like, Ray of Light is a very different era than, like, a prayer. And it's actually interesting to see, because Madonna's tour, her celebration tour, started in London this week. And it does feel like that tour and the Eras tour and the Renaissance tour are all kind of in dialogue with each other in this weird way. Because in Madonna's show, like Taylor, she's having dancers that are like dressed up as her in her different eras and like Beyonce of course there's a lot of like 
you know, ballroom stuff and queer culture in the show. I think Taylor Swift's concert, in contrast to Madonna's celebration tour, speaks to like the quickening of our culture because Madonna's looking back at 40 years of a career. Taylor Swift is like, <laughs> you know, a pandemic happened and I released four albums. So like, I got to go through all of this. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like Madonna wrote songs about religion and Taylor Swift is like starting her own religion. At least if, if the midsummer circle at the AMC is any indication. There was that moment in time when Madonna released Ray of Light and we were like, oh, this is just how she's going to sound forever. It would be like if after 1989, Taylor Swift went back to country. Right. But it was just that one album. She was like, I'm a pop star again, guys. <laughs> My mom and I were talking about Madonna and she was like, what was the disco album? That was the best one. I wouldn't say that's the best one. Confessions on the dance floor. Kathy, whose favorite genre of music is disco that makes sense but i was saying to her i was like well there's ray of light there's music i was like there was that weird anti-bush iraq war album she goes i don't remember that <laughs> i was like good yeah it's called american life and it features one of the most terrifying raps in the history of music we might have to put it in here i'm drinking a latte. i get a double shot it goes through my body and you know i'm satisfied i drive my mini cooper and i'm feeling super duper you they tell me i'm a trooper and you know i'm satisfied i do yoga and pilates and the room is full of hotties so i'm checking out the bodies and you know i'm satisfied i'm digging on the isotope to smell the physics shit is dope and if all this can give me hope you know i'm satisfied i got a lawyer and a manager an agent and a chef three nannies an assistant and a driver and a jet a trainer and a butler and a bodyguard of five a gardener and a stylist do you think i'm satisfied I'd like to express my extreme point of view. I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew. I'm just living out the American dream. And I just realized that nothing is what it's seems. Back to Taylor. Well, another thing that Taffy mentions that relates to Madonna is that like Taylor Swift is a very desexualized pop star for a pop star. She talks about how even the way that Taylor Swift dances kind of reminds one of how you dance in your room as a tween or a teenager or something. Like there's a silliness to it and there's a lack of male gazy type shit. There's a guy above her who she overhears during the concert say, there's not a lot of sex in this show. And Taffy becomes possessed and goes, that's because this isn't for you. She wasn't created to please you like other women pop stars. She created herself to please me. She escaped the machine where women are only allowed to be pop stars if they don't anger or threaten men. This just isn't for you. It's how I might react on a bad day as well. The thing I found most shocking about this piece of writing is the fact that it validates a lot of conspiracy theories, I guess, when it comes to Taylor. Oh, which one do you want to speak about, Chell? What, the I theory or just Carly Kloss in general? Carly Kloss in general. That's maybe the most shocking thing that in the New York Times magazine, they are discussing Taylor. She's a real journalist and she went in and facts are facts. I had never heard the idea that on the Reputation album, it's Carly Kloss's eye over Taylor's eye, meant to represent an eye for an eye watch her get fired from the New York <laughs> Times for linking to these TikTok videos. I feel like if you ever wrote a film, it would be a Todd Haynes-esque persona lesbian love story heavily inspired by Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss. Not no. I know that they're both tall blondes, but I didn't realize it was such a thing that they just look identical because they don't in my mind. I mean, they kind of do. Like, there's no way that Carly Kloss isn't Taylor Swift's personal beauty ideal. But here's the thing that may save Taffy's job, because she goes through the whole Taylor 
conspiracy theory. And then at the end is like, I don't think Maroon is a love song. She's like, I just think it's about a friendship ending. And it's like, girl, <laughs> look, I'm open to the idea that they did just have an intense friendship and maybe like fucked a few times or something like that. You know, that it wasn't necessarily like dating, dating. I do think that the fact that Scooter Braun is Carly Kloss's manager played into this a lot more than necessarily a potential romantic situation could. Managed what? <laughs> what do you mean? She's a supermodel. More my point is this. I used to have a friend who worked for a high-powered manager who represented a model. And all that model asked for was basically PR stuff. Getting sponsored clothes to go to Coachella. That's more my point of like, I don't understand what a predominantly music manager would do for a supermodel. Well, think about those fucking L'Oreal contracts or those cover girl deals. Like that's the upper echelon of modeling. Like those are the models that are doing Super Bowl commercials and shit like that. It's because there's so much money in those kinds of deals. I don't think like he cares about the ins and outs of like the fact that she's closing the Ralph Lauren show or something. Oh, I understand why Scooter Braun <laughs> wants to be her manager. He definitely wants 10% of that. I know you don't want to discuss Taylor Swift being a heterosexual woman, but it would seem that her and Travis Kelsey are official, as they were seen this past Saturday f holding hands for the first time. Okay, but like they've been official. To me, this is like non-news news. They were seen at an SNL after party together. Kelsey appeared in a sketch while Taylor Swift introduced Ice Spice. I was going to ask you your thoughts on this romantic pairing, but I could kind of guess. I'm happy for her. I don't have thoughts. I think the more noteworthy thing is that with her relationship with Joe, like it was obvious that he did not want to be out and about with her in this way. And I don't even necessarily think that Taylor is someone that is deliberately seeking attention. She's on the level of star where there are paparazzi outside her apartment so she's kind of forced to live this way in a way that most celebrities are not it actually makes sense for her to date someone that is not uncomfortable being public facing in that way yes i've seen the internet accept travis kelsey because he seems to accept her for who she is is not intimidated and I saw a lot of hyper-focusing on him sort of shooing her security guards away so that he could help her out the door of the car. But I thought you would appreciate that evidently I've learned from Vanity Fair, Travis Kelsey, a bit of a clothes horse. He's known to take up to three hours choosing his outfits on game day. Well, he looks great. And I'm hoping that this will be a Kim and Kanye type situation where we'll get a bit of a glow up. Not that I want him to pick out all of her clothes, but maybe if his stylist just pulled a few coats from Bottega, that would be a positive thing. Because one thing about Taylor is she's fucking loyal. Like the stylist that she works with, is like an older gay man that she's been working with since she was a teenager, since she lived in Nashville. So on one hand, it's like, that's really cool that you're loyal to the people that were there for you before you were this huge star, but also like, you gotta evolve a little bit. I agree with you. I didn't want to say anything about T-Swift's personal style. I did see a tweet that someone said that I can't kind of unsee, which is, Everyone's saying that Travis Kelsey is so hot, but all I see when I look at him is a state trooper. And I'm like, yes, that's <laughs> what he looks like to me. Yeah, he is giving that. Their love story, pun intended, already seems like lyrics from a Taylor Swift song. 
her going to his games. He allegedly just bought a new house. His house in Kansas City was too public-facing. Well, the irony is that she kind of already released her football album, which was the first half of Reputation, because a song like Ready For This is basically like, the point of it is to be played at football games or in stadiums. Like, it literally doesn't make sense in any other context. She's back on American dick. (laughs) I'm proud. America's healing. Speaking of iconic Americans. Britney Spears? Sure. So Britney Spears is releasing a memoir next Tuesday, although you wouldn't know because she isn't anywhere. Yeah, it really crept up. Well, she's done one official story with People Magazine, which we do need to get into. I don't know if you've seen these photos, Chelsea? No. Just type in Britney Spears People. It's a photo shoot she did herself in Tahiti, I believe. The photos are credited to Britney Brands. What the fuck? Who gives a shit? I'm fine with this. I actually really like the fact that she does not care about presenting herself in a way that is glamorous. Yeah, I guess it goes with Pamela Anderson no longer wearing makeup. There is something very subversive about that. But my point is, I think this is the most public facing she's going to be to promote this memoir. Something's telling me that we're not getting a Drew Barrymore interview, a 60 Minutes piece. Certainly not a Diane Sawyer interview. So TMZ has leaked some of the most salacious confessions in the memoir. The biggest one, of course, is that when she was dating Justin Timberlake, they fell pregnant. I'll use the way that Tad says it. They fell pregnant and she got an abortion. In light of this confession, the internet I've seen has re-examined Britney Spears' Every Time video, which at the time was thought to be a lament on her uber fame and her breakup with Timberlake, but with scenes of Britney Spears in a hospital, you remember, with the baby, who was rec- uh, a woman who's recently given birth. People are now thinking that maybe it's an apology to her unborn child. That's so depressing. Also, that was an amazing video, by the way. Amazing David LaChapelle video. A high point, I would say, of Britney's videos. Which David LaChapelle said in 2019, the only direction Britney gave me for the video was that she wanted to die. Because if you remember, they had to edit the video because she dies in the yeah. video. But then in the one that we saw, Stephen Dorff revives her. Yeah, I feel terrible that she had to go through that at such a young age. Because you know at 19, Britney Spears was probably fully ready to have kids and get married and do all of that. Like, I think in her heart, like, that's what she really cares about. Well, and the most tragic thing that she writes is that while it was unexpected, she always knew she was going to have kids with Justin Timberlake, so why not now? And he clearly was like, fuck that. Fair to not want a child as a 19-year-old. I would be Justin in that situation for sure. Yes, but it also makes it all the more twisted that his solo album was built on the idea that was started by tabloids that he ran with that he got cheated on and that he's the heartbroken one. Well, we don't know that she didn't cheat on him. He could have cheated on her. Oh, she also says that, that he cheated on her with a celebrity. It's being reported that Britney Spears says she cheated on Justin Timberlake, but all that I could find, because the book is not out yet, is that she made out with Wade Robinson, which... I don't consider cheating. A one-off makeout, barely cheating. Cheating, yes, but barely. In light of this confession, it reminded me of something I discovered when we did our Crossroads episode, which was that Britney Spears wanted to play the Taryn Manning role originally of the girl who's pregnant and, spoiler alert, falls down a flight of stairs and loses the pregnancy. 
Brittany says that of this experience, she went completely method in her role and was that person for a long time, which is one of the reasons she didn't want to do the notebook. It was down to her and Rachel McAdams. Well, that's just kind of wild because having seen Crossroads relatively recently, it's like she's not that dissimilar from herself yeah. at the time, like or at least the Britney that was presented in interviews. She says some people do method acting, but they're usually aware of the fact that they're doing it. But I didn't have any separation at all. I ended up walking differently, carrying myself differently, talking differently. I was someone else for months while I filmed Crossroads. <laughs> I started calling Kim Cattrall mom. Still to this day, I bet the girls I shot the movie with think she's a little quirky. If they thought that, they were right. I mean, bless her heart. Yeah. I would also like to note that all of these revelations will be read by Michelle Williams for the audiobook, which is, I think, the way to experience Britney Spears' memoir. You know she can do that baby voice. She lives to do a baby voice. I gotta say, it is quite the time for celebrity memoirs. I would maybe not release mine a week before Britney Spears, which is what Jada Pickett Smith did. Am I the only one that thinks that the backlash against Jada on the internet is like completely insane and excessive? Or am I just like a party of one here? People are acting like she's going to every single media outlet just spilling the tea about her marriage with Will, but it's like she's promoting a book and that's the number one thing that every single journalist is going to be interested in. That's true. I mean, I did see something that said everything that I know about Will and Jada has been against my will. But that's not true because you're reading this shit about them. I think people don't like her because there have always been rumors that they've had an open relationship or that one or both of them might be having same-sex relationships and people think that they're swingers and they judge them for that because that doesn't align with their definition of what marriage is or what marriage should be. I think why people have had such a bad reaction to this is it's not the best PR rollout. And how I know that is because Jada Pickett-Smith revealed the previous week to Hoda that Will and her have been separated since 2016. But they're currently living together, so they're not actually physically separated at this point. But then she went back on the Today Show to clarify what she said the previous week and actually was like, oh, Will and I are back together. I think she was saying she was separated from 2016 to, I guess, a little after the Oscars or something to that effect. I think people are very savvy with gossip and there's just something that rings false because this confession just raises more questions right which is if you were separated why didn't you just say that during that very bizarre red table talk where like will smith <laughs> is crying i'm of the belief that both of them were fucking around but it was jada's side piece that like went to the press we've all seen those photos of will and margot robbie in the photo booth and if you haven't seen them i'll drop them into the show notes with the red table talk, it's like they kind of had to address at the very least her affair. And she says that he was ready to say they were separated. And then for some reason, when they got onto the red table talk, he completely changed tack, was like, I'm not ready to talk about it and kind of made it her fault. You're like, okay, I get that. But that's not a fucking live feed. Just don't release that episode then. Yeah, no, look, I get that it's weird, but like, I think amazing that they're still trying to work this out. They clearly have a lot of love for each other. I think it's weird that because Jada, the backlash against Jada is so 
strong that it's making Will look better because everyone can't handle the fact that he's been emasculated or whatever. Because of course that's the worst thing that can happen to a man. The response to Jada in this is like worse than the backlash that I've seen from like male celebrities that have been accused of domestic violence. Yeah, I think everything that's been portrayed about their marriage, her getting married was the worst day of her life. Chelsea, do you wonder why they didn't just get a divorce? His team wanted her to sign a prenup. They both agreed like, well, if we're starting this marriage with the idea that the marriage could end, why are we even doing this? So her vow basically was like, well, I'm not marrying you for your money because we'll never get divorced. And so that's why they never even legally separated because of this vow they made in 1997. I don't know. I just find it weird that like we celebrate like Benefer for reuniting and having this complicated, messy situation. But we can't really accept that these people that have got married really young, that have been in a decades long marriage, that have multiple children could have these sort of extreme highs and lows. I do agree with you. There's something about the current state of pop culture where we're obsessed with gossip and blind items and, you know, they're Reddit forums trying to decode these blind items. But when you have an actual celebrity being honest about the behind the scenes of their relationship or the world of celebrity, it's like too much for the public. Because it's messy. I think the other reason that people are having a hard time with this memoir is everything she answers just brings about more questions. Are they Scientologists? No, what she says is she just used Scientology to homeschool her children. They've been Scientologists. This has been a rumor around town for 10,000 years. They are keen with other Scientologists. If you're raising your kids according to educational principles that were laid out by L. Ron Hubbard, that's almost more intense to me than just going to church occasionally, or I don't know if they go to church, whatever they do. The most interesting thing to me was that Chris Rock asked her out when she thought that Will Smith and her were separated. The idea that Chris Rock asked her out at some point before this whole Oscar slapping just adds an interesting wrinkle to this of like, ooh, this is very messy between the three of you. And if you're wondering if we're going to cover either of these memoirs, in our recently launched Every Outfit Book Club, we're too busy reading Julia Fox's memoir, which we will be doing next month. Can't wait to uh, get into that. But I don't know, I feel like I should read Jada's because we've seen so many clips taken out of context. I'm like, what is the actual tea? Like, how crazy is this bitch actually? Yeah, I'm of two minds of celebrity memoirs where it feels like all the quote-unquote juicy stuff is told before the memoir even comes out. Or does the revelation of all that stuff make you want to go and actually buy the book? Because you're like, what else is in here? I think sometimes it goes too far. Like I didn't read the Prince Harry memoir, which I might have done, but I did feel like I really heard all of the most salacious bits. For your sake, I hope there is a chapter or two dedicated to the making of Set It Off. (laughs) A girl can dream. So not a lot of fashion news to talk about this week. So Chelsea and I thought we would just discuss what we've been watching lately. So we both watched Beckham on Netflix, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, the biggest revelation to me is that the actor Fisher Stevens directed this documentary. Yeah, so random. I was struck by it because normally when I watch a documentary, I have a vague understanding of the life of the subject, right? Like if it's a documentary about a celebrity. I know nothing about David Beckham. I didn't even know there was a point that he wasn't playing for Britain, you know? (laughs) 
So every single like plot twist in his story was a complete surprise to me. My understanding of David Beckham is that he's the greatest footballer of all time. What I learned from this documentary is he kind of sucked a lot. He did not suck a lot. He sucked a lot more than I thought he did. Yeah, that's because no one would ever just let him fucking play for England. Like he was always like in these situations where he shouldn't have been in. And also, like, I had no idea that he was so hated in Britain after the World Cup. And I truly don't understand the logic behind that because these fans, quote unquote fans, are basically saying that the fate of the entire team rests in the hand of one player, David Beckham. And because he made a mistake in one game, fuck him. He deserves to get death threats. He's publicly shamed. I just don't understand the logic behind that. Well, he got a yellow card and was ejected from the game. Why can't you just accept that your team was outplayed by the other team? It's not like they were playing a bunch of kindergartners or something. No, evidently that happened when he moved to Los Angeles, which is maybe the most entertaining part of the documentary. What you learn in this documentary is as much as it is a story of David Beckham's career, it is also his love story with Victoria Beckham, which I've always been a fan of these two. See, that's a way to discuss cheating rumors and basically confirm your husband cheated on you without actually having to say anything. Yeah, well, it's obvious that they used language that tiptoed around it because they didn't want the headlines from this to overshadow the docuseries itself, which is what would have happened. She says that the press was not only against us, which had always been the case, but we were against each other. British tabloid culture has always had the reputation of being completely unhinged, but now after watching it, I understand that it's also serving an audience that is completely unhinged. Well, it does put into perspective as Americans that for them, moving to Los Angeles was less psychotic, paparazzi-wise. All Victoria wants is some sun... And as long as it's easy to put her kids in school, then she's happy. This poor girl, like, she didn't want to be a footballer's wife. She's a huge pop star in her own respect. And then she has to move all around the world, uprooting her life, the life of her children. Like, it just seems like a lot. It's interesting because she's featured a lot in the documentary. Her story is told concurrently with David's, but as much as it serves David's life, they don't even mention in this documentary, she is starting her own fashion label while he's moving all around the world. I know. I think it would have been a stronger docu-series if it had been equally weighted, like half Victoria's story and half his story, because her story is equally fascinating. If it were the Beckhams and not Beckham. They could release another one of these, Beckham Part 2, and it's Victoria's story. I'd watch the shit out of that, too. I guess it never really connected in my adolescent brain that she was pregnant in between their first and second, the Spice Girls' first and second album. Yeah, that's wild. It was so fun whenever you did see the footage of all the girls. I love that they interviewed Anna Wintour, but obviously she's only featured once because she had one good quote to give, which was like, I didn't know David Beckham. And I only put the Spice Girls on the cover of Vogue because my daughter wouldn't shut the fuck up. I wish her daughter had had a little more input because that did feel like an American Vogue cover that really like met the moment. I was surprised she did it at the time. And I feel like it's very, very rare that the the choice of subject on the cover of Vogue is shocking to anyone because it's like, oh, it's Kate Winslet or it's Carrie Mulligan. We just expect it to be these people. 
it takes like a Spice Girls or a Kimye to really shake things up. And she does it basically against her will. Also, can we just mention like how good the fashion was? And how good David Beckham's hair is. Yeah, he is a tourist through and through. That man loves his clothing. He does. I love how he has like his rack of outfits set out for the week. I love that he has like a monogrammed beekeeper outfit. I want to know if he still has all that late 90s Gucci. I know. I was thinking that too. I hope it's in a storage unit because you know none of that's in his actual closet. His actual closet is too like curated for that. I do consider his son Brooklyn a fail son, but I did appreciate from David him talking about the paparazzi intrusion and he gets very emotional because he's like, I don't know how that affects my child. He's talking about when they moved to Madrid and that just like onslaught because that's when the rumors that he had an affair happened and it just was unrelenting. He's making the point that Brooklyn was old enough to understand what was happening. I know, I felt so bad for their kids. Speaking of the Jada Will Scientology connection, there is a part in the documentary when they move to Los Angeles because David Beckham is friends with Tom Cruise, that Tom Cruise is like, I'm gonna throw you a welcome to LA party. And it really situates where we are in the mid-aughts because it's when he is married to Katie Holmes. It is when they are besties with Jada Pickett Smith and Will Smith. Yeah, it's a little Scientologist kiki. (laughs) Also, very impressed with David Beckham's branding work on his new soccer team or football team, the Pink Nets. Pink Nets, baby. The uniforms, because it's the most perfect color of pink. It's like one that's hard to even find. It's like actual Pepto-Bismol. He went to the Pantone factory himself. (laughs) You're like, I want a documentary on that. You're like, look, I need the Beckham cinematic universe. I need Victoria's side of the story. I want to hear what these kids are doing. I want to hear about how he made this new soccer team. I want it all. (laughs) What else have you been watching? All right, we need to get into a show that I watched because you said that you watched it and it disgusted you. It is a British show that is now available to watch on Max called Naked Attraction. Oh, God. It's fun for the first, like, little bit, and then you realize how dark it is. It's kind of like if you go to Vegas and you're shit-faced, and then the second you sober up and look around, you're like, oh, I gotta get out of here. Well, we just talked about how insane the British paparazzi are because the masses of Britain and the United Kingdom are fucking insane. Not you guys, though. Not our British fuckettes. But you understand, this is a dating show where you literally see the naked body parts of the people. So there is a contestant and there are people there are five people in boxes and it starts with their lower half. So like dicks or vaginas. Guys, they don't blur it out. Well, if they blurt it out, what would be the point of this show? Then it widens so you see like their chest as well. You see face and then you see voice. And every round before this is revealed, the person has to get rid of one person. But then the person, it's not like they just like walk backstage. They walk out and meet you. Like the person that was just rejected on the basis of their genitalia just has to walk out and be like, hey. If you think this is unfair that the contestant is fully clothed judging these people, once it gets down to two, they have to go backstage, undress themselves, and show their naked selves to the other two people. It's especially dark because with all dating shows, the problem is what sane person would want to do this? With this show, it's like, Only crazy people would do this. 
I think the people look worse dressed. Wait, look worse dressed? Yes, because when they're kicked <laughs> off of the show, they do this like Wonder Woman in reverse thing where it's like they go from naked to what their street clothes yeah. would look like. And it's like, oh no, she was correct to kick him off. His personal style is terrible. <laughs> like this is actually a person I would never say yes to do a date if they dress like that. Yeah, they should start in their street clothes and then end up naked. You basically dared me to watch this show because you explained in the first episode you're like there's a man with an elephant tattoo and I was like okay so he's got like a back tattoo you're like it's not on his back there is a man with a gigantic penis who has an elephant head around his dick because his penis is the trunk see these are the kinds of people that would go on this kind of dating show they should just be straight up about it just being for exhibitionists and everyone should have to be an exhibitionist including the people that are dating the naked people. That's not just the episode. The end of the show is that they go on a date clothed at some bar. I think naked attraction has to merge with the show Naked and Afraid so that your date is that you're naked out in the wilderness together. (laughs) That's the worst and best idea you've ever had. Thank you. They'll probably do that next season. Independently, what have you been watching? I just saw Talk to Me. Oh, the A24 horror film. Yeah, it's basically about this group of teenagers, but instead of like sitting around drinking and doing poppers, they like hold this weird ceramic hand that's like possessed by like spirits and they let the spirits enter their body for like 90 seconds and they like get like a big rush from it. It was terrifying. It's not gore completely throughout. Like it's no American horror story. It's very like measured when they do bring in the gore. If you're an it follows kind of person, then you'll like talk to me. Also, there's an adorable English bulldog in it, but thankfully nothing happens to the bulldog. So you're saying that the new designer drug is ghosts? But they're the most tore up ghosts that like inhabit these people's bodies. This is the problem with ghost lore and it makes me think that ghosts aren't real just for the fact that like we don't have a Y2K ghost. (laughs) There's no one in a Von Dutch hat haunting your ass. Right, they're all in like Victorian era clothing. Crazy, I also watched an Australian film called Royal Hotel. Oh yeah, I saw the trailer. How was that? That's real Australian. You would think with the title Royal Hotel, it's some Dev Patel film where he works at a Michelin star restaurant in the French countryside. But no, it is Kitty Green's follow-up. She's the one that did that Me Too era film, The Assistant, which starred Julia Garner. This also stars Julia Garner. And it's basically Promising Young Woman meets Roadhouse. Okay. It's about two American girls who are backpacking in Sydney. They're not really backpacking. They're partying in Sydney. They run out of money. They have no options. For reasons unexplained, they have no options other than doing a a work for travel program where they are sent to the Australian outback to work at a bar in some mining town. It's not an indie comedy. It's not a horror film, but Kitty Green uses horror imagery to just have this impending sense of dread. So like dead kangaroos and shit? That happened in Talk To Me also. Not dead kangaroos, but just like drunk Australian guys coming up the stairs of the house. Because of course they live above the bar and trying to open their door and shit. But that's a film that's an hour and a half. You can watch both of those and an episode of Naked Attraction in the time that it takes to watch Killers of the Flower Moon. You could also potentially watch Found. Found is an NBC procedural... And you're like, Lauren, you don't seem like a network procedural girl. And I'm not. 
But you know how everything is a cop show, and if it's not a cop show, it's like, he's a consultant that helps the cops solve crime with magic. Yes. <laughs> the mentalist. There's the mentalist. There was the one where it was like, he helps solve crime with numbers. There was one that was based around the Grimm's fairy tale as well, where it's like, he's a descendant of the Grimm's brothers, and he, like, helps solve Grimm crimes. What the fuck? Anyway, she is a woman that helps find lost kids. Like, because she's a psychic? No. Gabby Mosley and her crisis management team make sure that there is always someone looking out for the forgotten missing people. So she runs a crisis management company that you're led to believe she makes a lot of money from, although she solely focuses on finding missing children pro bono. And it's because she herself went missing and she found herself. Now, I'm sure you're like, Lauren, why the fuck did you watch this show? It is because in the trailer, at the end of the trailer, they show her coming home from a long day of finding people to go down to a basement, and she has Mark Paul Gossler chained up in the basement. So she's kidnapped her kidnapper. When you watch the trailer, you're like, who is this guy? And then as soon as you watch the pilot, it's her when she's younger in a house, and I go, please don't let it be that fucking Mark Paul Gossler kidnapped her as a child. Yep, that's exactly what happened. So basically the premise of the show is like, what if Elizabeth Smart started a crisis management company, but really she focuses on saving people and she's kidnapped her former kidnapper? You are selling this to me and probably a lot of our listeners. However, this show goes out of its way to be like, Mark Paul Gossler never raped her. He wasn't interested in her sexually. I hate when they do that. That's like the um, Nightmare on Elm Street vacation. <laughs> it's like Freddy Krueger's kidnapping and murdering children. For what? Like, we can read between the lines. The parents of these children wouldn't burn him the fuck alive if he wasn't molesting and raping their children. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, all the parents got together and trapped him in a barn or whatever the fuck. It's like, why do you think that happened? But this show is also imbued with like SJW language which doesn't make any sense because first of all it kind of takes away the main character's agency of like so she's not good at finding people it's because of Mark Paul Gosler because she just like throws manila envelopes and it's like where would you have taken this girl and oh it's so like, she's getting him to solve the missing person's cases oh that's that's a fun twist okay I'm watching this show so he's like Hannibal Lecter Yes, it's very kiss the girls. It's very Hannibal Lecter. But they de-sex him, right? Because it's like, well, no, I, I wasn't interested in you. And so there's a case where he's like, this is beneath me. She's a sex worker. It's like, okay, he wouldn't say sex worker. Oh, so he's like a, a woke-like yeah. rapist. <laughs> a woke, non-rapist <laughs> kidnapper of young girls. I love that. Anyway, Watch Found, available now on Peacock. <laughs> Shall we get into another horrifying television show? Let's play the theme. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. You're just a witch, and I hate you. Okay, I'm not completely caught up on American Horror Story Delicate. I watched a couple episodes last night. I can't do more than two in one sitting. It's too uncomfortable. 
That's fair. The interesting thing about this season of American Horror Story is that the show as a horror story is awful, but the show as social commentary is truly next fucking level. Elaborate, please. Did you get to the part where Kim Kardashian has the, the two twins played by Leslie Grossman and Billy Lord, and she vomits at an award show, and in order for Kim Kardashian to get her career back on track, she brings in the Ashleys, and they're like, you need to make an Instagram reel. And she's like, I'm not making an Instagram reel. And the Instagram reel is Emma Roberts' character being like, women poop, women pee, women vomit, women even have their period. And she like okay, takes that's a, funny. a tampon out. <laughs> and she's like, you made me feel bad for vomiting. But guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> that's genius. I could actually see that working too. I think my issue with American Horror Story, delicate thus far, everything about it feels very flat. So, But it, then it's this flatness juxtaposed with this sort of constant, gratuitous, blowing its load stuff. Like um, imagine <laughs> if the last scene of Rosemary's Baby happened in the first scene of the movie. That's what this is. If this season was not a Rosemary's Baby, ripoff and instead was Emma Roberts being pregnant trying to win an award much more interesting for horror to work there has to be a buildup of tension and then a diffusion of the tension right and here that simply does not exist making a woman seem crazy is a lot easier to do over an hour and a half versus five hours because it's just her being like something's wrong and everyone's like it isn't and she's like okay this has to be on some level supernatural right yes it has to be in that i kind of don't like because if it's supernatural i want to find out at the very end we hate when it's just like oh they're crazy and they imagine this whole movie yeah like at the same time, it's nice when the terrifying events that happen to someone feel like they could happen to us because they feel grounded in reality. Very true. But most importantly, we should say Kim Kardashian is great in this. Fabulous. Fabulous. Kim Kardashian is carrying the weight of this show on her shoulders, and which is not even, I'm not even trying to diss Emma Roberts because I think that like, to be the Rosemary's baby part, you kind of have to be a little naive and sort of at the mercy of the people in your orbit for that to work. No matter who played the role of her publicist, it's just the better role. The Emma Roberts role is not the more fun role. Yeah, I think Kim is most likely to be the architect of whatever the scam is just because she is the most likable and no one else is likable. Yeah. Well, that said, the cast is great. Like, love to see Tavi, obviously. Even it's fun seeing Cara Delevingne. Just being spooky. Giving... <laughs> really erotic ultrasounds. I think the problem with this kind of horror and supernatural horror, and especially something told over a limited series, is the answer isn't as good as the buildup. Whatever the greater conspiracy is, it's not going to be as good. The thing about Rosemary's Baby is it is so outsized. Like, you didn't think it was going to be the devil. Yeah. Quite literally. You're like, yeah. oh, this is a metaphor or something. It's like, nope, straight up devil. <laughs> We've missed a couple of weeks of the Kardashians. Yes. 
honestly, the way that this series is going compared to Keeping Up, like, we can skip a couple weeks and kind of just go through them. Yeah, I really liked last week's episode. Didn't care about this week so much because last week was the one where Chris did the Megan Trainer video. It was a Chris and Corey Gamble-heavy episode. We learned that they love to fuck a lot. Good for them. I guess I'm not really enjoying the past two episodes because it's very Tristan-heavy, and it's a very Tristan redemption arc, which I wasn't understanding until... Was it this week or last week's episode where you understand like, oh, Chris is now the architect of Tristan's career. But it's also so dark that Chris is trying to force Chloe to get back together. Or not force, but encourage Chloe to get back with Tristan. I mean, gaslighter into like, well, what if he gets with someone? Aren't you going to be upset? And she's like... Yeah, mom, I think it would be like normal and human to be a little bit upset if I saw a photo with him and like another girl. But that doesn't mean I should be with someone that has wronged me so many times. And it feels truly like Chris did not hear what Chloe was saying, which is, yes, it's incredibly infuriating to make the men in my life realize their potential, but only show that potential on the next partner. Chloe, I think, is the one who has revealed the most about her life. But the past two seasons of The Kardashians, when she talks about how, like, unsettling having a surrogate was, how much she's hated her 30s and can't wait to be 40 and would frankly rather forget that she's going to be 39 this year that was very refreshing well she's being real about the fact that like she's dated two unstable men that have shown complete disregard for her the wrong partner can drag you to hell and back and she's had that twice in a single decade how do you feel about them showing tristan's brother amari it's hard to say because on one hand it's like should they not show someone that's part of the family because they are disabled. Right, or is it taking advantage of someone who cannot consent to being on camera? True, although I'm sure he's making a ton of money from it. Which will help pay for his round-the-clock care. But which Tristan already has the money for. This is the other thing we need to talk about. There's no situation in which Tristan has to live with Chloe. He's a multimillionaire. He can afford round-the-clock care. He can also afford 20000 a month. $25,000 a month to even rent a house within Hidden Hills while his house is being repaired, which is ostensibly the reason he's living with Chloe right now is that his house caught fire and it's still being fixed. By the way, I'm putting all of that in quotes. But look, he also did lose his mother recently and you can see that Chloe has a lot of empathy for him. Like, you know, you'd want to have them keep them together because you right. have to co-parent for the good of your child. So it's like, I get it, but... It is a little weird. As a viewer, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel because at once, just the the architecture of how much Tristan has been in this show seems like a redemption arc, but Chloe is very upfront that she does not want to be with this person. What else happened? Yeah, Kim went to Harvard. That's the other thing that was missing from the Courtney fight where Courtney is making it seem like Kim is some insipid bitch that's consumed with money. And it's like, oh yeah, I completely forgot. She's also getting people out of who are wrongly convicted out of prison. She's speaking at Harvard. She's going to an investor's meeting because she runs a VC now. She's the best soccer mom in the world, which I could have done without that. That I didn't need. <laughs> It's nice to be reminded of how odd their childhood was because part of their legacy is like, no, we were totally normal growing up. And then in this episode, she's like, oh yeah, 
My best friend was Irving Azoff's daughter, and our parents used to take us to London and see musicals, so now we do that with our kids. Just now, I have a private jet. But moving away from the Kardashians, I just want to note that we have not been able to watch House of Kardashian, which is the British docuseries, because there's literally no way to watch it. Yes. So if someone can like download it and then like send us the Dropbox link or something, we'll talk about it. I've only been able to watch it through TikTok clips. We can talk about one of the Kardashians' most sinister new business ventures, which is Kendall's new AI alter ego, Billy. Yes, Meta is launching AI Friends, and they have licensed the likeness of many celebrities, from Mr. Beast to Kendall, but they're not using their names. They're different people, which is incredibly confusing. I'm sorry, like, Billie Eilish owns that name. There is someone that is already too famous named Billie right now. And they have to make a choice. It's either Kendall or Kenny. I'm sure that's way too expensive to do. Or you have to do a yassified version of Kendall's face. The fact that it's a photorealistic video of Kendall, but it's not Kendall. And yeah, I've tried to ask Billie questions about Kendall, and it, like, refuses to answer, like, I said, how many vintage cars do you own? Zero. I don't own any cars, vintage or otherwise. My passion is helping people like you, not collecting cars. And then I was like, are you affiliated with the millennial razor brand, Billy? And she's like, nope, not affiliated with any razor brand, just here to help you navigate life and love. Like, watch this bitch, like, slowly convince me to kill myself. Yeah, the whole point of... Billy specifically is that she's your ride or die friend, right? Each of these avatars have different functions, but I don't think I'm going to be replaced anytime soon. She seems like a terrible friend. That's the other thing. It's like way more peppy than Kendall actually is. Like I asked her about her thoughts on the conflict in the Middle East and she was like, sorry, not my expertise, exclamation point. But peace and understanding are always the way forward. And then it was like one of those like racially ambiguous handshakes. Here's the other confusing thing. When this was introduced, I thought that we could talk to Billy. It's just a chat function. It's truly just chat GPT. So it starts, hey, I'm Billy, your older sister and confidant. Got a problem? I've got your back. What should I talk about on my podcast this week? Hey there, I'm Billy, and I'm always ready with some straightforward advice. What's the theme of your podcast? Do you have any specific topics? In my it's like, if I wanted this kind of discourse, I would just ask my mom what I should talk about this week on the podcast. <laughs> okay, don't do your mom dirty like that. No, Kathy's the best. I said, we talk about pop culture like the Kardashians. Okay, so you want to talk about the Kardashians. Well, there's definitely no shortage of material there. Have you considered discussing their latest drama or scandal? Or maybe you could dive into their business empire and how they built it up over the years. This is like when someone doesn't know a topic, like when you're called on in class and you don't know what the teacher just asked you, you're like, I don't know. Maybe you can talk about their latest scandal <laughs> or newsworthy piece of information they've done. You can have AIs to have more of a personality than this. With someone like Kendall, you could just have AI watch a thousand hours of Kendall. Yeah, just so at least like it's delivered in that Kendall vernacular. But it's not Kendall, it's Billy, which this is the root of the problem. They either should have made it Kendall or made it not look like Kendall. This is the worst solution possible. Anyway, I guess we won't be in the metaverse anytime soon. Ask Billy how we should sign off this week. Okay. How should we sign off? Until next time, stay fabulous and drama-free-ish, okay? <laughs>
Actually, that's not that bad. That's not bad. That's great. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs) 